those are the thinking issues. And I'm sure a lot of them, like me, when I read through them, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm, Yep. Like you can really see the ways each of those can apply to ways we think about situations. And we all use all of those. So if you said yes to everyone on the list, don't feel bad. They really are common things people struggle with. I'm Lindsay. I'm here to teach you proven strategies to be your own therapist that will take you from anxious to relieved. I'm here to help you feel lighter and hopeful while building a life full of meaning. I'm a licensed anxiety therapist running a successful private practice in New York City. So from someone that gives therapy and has been in therapy, I'm here to help you use the formula that moved me forward through serious anxiety in my own life. So follow along as I share what works and what doesn't. This is Unlock Your Therapy. Hello, and welcome to the Unlock Your Therapy podcast. This is session number 10. Happy September, everybody. I am back from our trip in Maine and Vermont, and I'm getting ready for all things school slash daycare. Carson's off to 3K this week. I think he starts Wednesday, and Everett is starting daycare for the first time on Tuesday. This week's a little hectic because Carson has a few two-hour days. Everett goes the whole day, so it's a bit back and forth picking up this one or that one and bringing the other one with me. But I'm very excited. I am most of all excited to be able to work at a normal consistency and rate for the day and not be pulled in a thousand directions. And I'm also very excited to drop them off somewhere besides the house because in the summertime, I had an amazing babysitter. She was great and she would come here, which is helpful. But it's just nice to have the house to yourself to work, especially when I have to record things or make videos. And I'm just very excited to be the only human in my house during the day and be able to really work from home for the entire day, which won't happen until next week after this first initial week of school because it's a bit you know, unpredictable and only a few hours here and there. But I'm still very excited. My house is a disaster. My laundry is out of control and I only have a few days left to get it all together. So Today, I'm going to try to make little piles of all the school stuff and school outfits and wash their clothes and at least get all that organized. And I figure I can get my house more together once they're actually in school if I have extra time now that I have full-time daycare again, which I'm so excited about. Okay, so I have a full episode for you today. We're going to get into anxiety. And today for anxiety we're talking about social anxiety. So social anxiety is a hot topic because I think a lot more people are aware that they have social anxiety. And I want to get into how do you know whether it's a problem or just a quirk of your personality? I think that's a question a lot of people have. How do I know that I don't just have a few quirks or if I have like an anxiety disorder or if I have some kind of mental illness versus I just have these certain things about me or phobias or things I'm nervous about or worried about. And it's a fine line, but I want to get into when it's a problem and when it's not and how 
to address social anxiety and go about it because it can really affect work, family, showing up for things, bailing out on friends, which can then lead to less friendships, being invited to less things, not doing as well at work. It can really affect performance when you're not as social because being social is a big part of excelling at work, making those social connections. We are social beings and we are meant to socialize. So it can really be a problem when we feel anxious about that. So we're going to dive into that in anxiety. After that is skill of the week. The skill of the week today is interesting. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. It is all about what they call, you might have heard thinking errors, cognitive errors, thinking patterns, but really it's just regular ways of thinking about things that our brain is trained to do. And oftentimes it can lead to more negative thinking, but it's just the way our brain works. But it's helpful to point it out and then we'll be able to recognize it better when it happens. So I'm going to tell you what those thinking errors or however you want to say, thinking issues, I'm going to read what they are and then the action night of the week goes along with recognizing those. So let's start off with high and low. My high is of course my trip to Maine and Vermont. We had a great time, but the low is also tied into all of that. So the high is... We swam in so many lakes, beautiful state parks, had a lot of ice cream, got to drive through these really remote little villages in Maine, in Vermont. We drove up to Maine first. That was a very long drive with the two kids and the dog in the car. It said six and a half hours on Google Maps. But of course, Carson kept telling us he had to go to the bathroom like every hours. We literally stopped probably once an hour on that trip. I felt like we couldn't make any progress. And we also stopped at a playground. So just let him run around and play. And we took our time getting up there, but it took us probably like over nine hours to get there because of all of the stops we made. So that the drive up there was not that fun. Um, then it gave me insight for future road trips. I'm always like, let's take a road trip here. Let's drive down wherever. My parents live in South Carolina. I always think, let's drive down there. But with them in the car, it's just, I don't know. I think at nighttime, it would be a lot better. So we might consider that like the next time we take some kind of road trip doing it at night because they'll be much more sleeping. On the way back from Vermont, they were sleeping because it was nighttime and it was way easier. We made a lot of progress. We didn't stop at all. So that was good. So it just gave me some information. That's what I tell my clients is it's all information. But really, we had a wonderful trip. We looked at tiny houses in Vermont. We looked at land and property and cabins. We explored some different regions of Vermont for land that we'd never been to before. And that was really fun. We ruled out a few things. We ruled in a few new locations and new things. So that was just exciting. We're not ready to buy something yet, but it was just really exciting to look at land and consider this little cabin company that makes tiny houses and just get information about all of that. We're also considering container homes, so we got information about those. So that part was really fun. We were only in Vermont for three nights and in Maine for three nights, but we did so much. Carson had a blast. Every day he was outside. We had 
campfires and s'mores. I think it was the first time he had s'mores, which he loved. And he was making his s'mores. My cousin Abby was helping him. And he like was so excited about them. And then as he was like eating it, he's like, can you hold this? And he handed me the graham crackers. And he's like, can you take off the marshmallow? And then by the end of it, he was just sitting there eating the little piece of chocolate. And he kept saying, "Mm, I like s'mores as if he was eating the whole s'more. But he definitely was not. But it was very fun. It was so nice to see my cousin. She brought us to a nice lighthouse out in Maine. It was gorgeous. We went to the Allagash Brewery. We just had a really fun time. And the low was just traveling with the two kids. It was hard to pack up the car. In the future, I don't think I would stay so short of a time at Airbnbs with the kids because it was we had to pack up a bassinet for the baby, a pack and play in the car. I had beach chairs, a beach umbrella, our dog King, and we have a Kia Soul. So it's not very big. I used to have a bigger SUV like years ago and... I'm really craving that space <laughs> again because it is really crammed. Dan calls it like a clown car, like the circus car, because it's just like you literally can't fit anything else in our car. I pack it. The whole floor of the back seat is packed. In between the car seats, there's stuff. The stuff in the trunk is like to the ceiling. It really is crazy, but <laughs> it was fun. In the future, we're just going to stay at one place for like a week instead of moving around so much. So that was really fun. Something unexpectedly fun was the drive from Maine to Vermont. We drove through New Hampshire and the route took us straight through the White Mountains. Is it the White National Forest or something like that? And it was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. It was such a scenic route. It literally took us up the mountains through all of these campgrounds and pullover sites for scenic views. People were swimming in the river. The trees up there are so tall and old, and the mountains are very pointy and rocky and jagged. Like you feel like you're in Colorado or something. It was so beautiful. I've never really seen anything like that in the Northeast. So that was really fun. I loved that. It made me want to explore New Hampshire and the mountains up there more. Once we have a place in Vermont, that would be a good stopping point to get up to New Hampshire because it was really far away, that area of New Hampshire with the White Mountains. But it was gorgeous. I really had no idea that's what it looked like up there. So that was really, really fun. So that was my highs and lows. It was a great trip. I'm really happy we did it. It's just like vacations are going to be like a good memory, but really hard and exhausting on parents, I think, when you have really little kids. But as they get older, it gets a little easier. Like I could see with Carson, it's getting a lot easier. He was so well behaved. He's like an angel in the car. He's so good. At nighttime, he was way better sleeping. I got him this little canopy mesh thing to go over a pack and play. And so we put him in there to contain him because he doesn't settle down for bedtime. He won't just like lay in bed with us and sleep with us ever. Maybe because we've always trained him to sleep in a crib separate from us. He's never slept with us. So at Airbnbs, I think he can't handle that kind of freedom. And he just like is running around the Airbnb, like slamming doors, getting hyper until like one in the morning when he passes out on the couch or something. It's terrible. So this was a great solution. I was able to like do bedtime with him, put him in bed at a reasonable hour, zip up the little tent. He thinks he can't get out of it and he just gives up and settles down and then every night is fine. So that was really great. Good parenting hack. 
Next up is anxiety. So for anxiety, I want to get into social anxiety, like I said. So social anxiety is more than just being shy. It usually develops as a teenager and it becomes a bit more problematic later on as you need to get a career, a more serious job, you're trying to make friends as an adult, you get invited to family events, and it starts to interfere with that. So I always say, and most therapists say, things become a problem when it starts to interfere in your daily functioning. So if you really feel like you don't have enough friends because of your social anxiety, or you're missing out on family events because of your social anxiety, or you don't feel you're excelling in your job because of your social anxiety the way other people are because they're not afraid to speak up in meetings or be more outgoing or lead a meeting, etc. If it's holding you back, if you don't want to accept a different kind of position because of it, I would say then it's time to work on it if you really feel like it's interfering with where you want to be in life. If it's not, and you're just fine with not being as social, you don't enjoy being social, not because you're anxious, but just because you're more introverted, you don't have that need, then I say that's fine. I always tell people, you don't have to work on things that you don't find to be a problem for you just because other people think you should or you're getting the message from society that you're a little different in that area. But if it's okay for you and it's not creating any problems in your life for you and you're comfortable with the way everything is, then there's no need to work on that area. It's okay to just accept that and not work on it. But if you do find it to be interfering, you can work on it. And one way to work on it is with social anxiety It's your brain having a tantrum because it thinks you're going into a life or death situation. Sounds really silly, but for example, if I were to go out to a party and I had social anxiety, I would think, oh God, I don't really want to go. I would be kind of thinking ways I could cancel. How can I get out of this? Are they going to cancel? I hope so. And I would be getting into like a panic throughout the day as it's coming closer to going. Now, if the brain starts to really have a lot of anxiety, maybe I do cancel. Maybe it's too close to the time I'm leaving. I'm really anxious. And I just think, you know, it's not worth it. I'm going to cancel. And I'm really anxious. Then I cancel and I'm relieved. I go, oh, thank God. I'm so happy that I didn't go. I'm so relieved. That sends the signal to the brain like, yes, we were in a life or death situation. And because of you giving me anxiety, we avoided that and I got out of it and now I'm safe. So thank you. Let's do that loop of neuron firing again in the future because it was helpful and it saved my life. It sounds ridiculous, but that is what your brain is is going to get that message. If you don't go to something because you're anxious, it's setting that loop in your brain more in stone. It's saying, okay, that loop was really helpful because now we're relieved. We're happy we didn't go. I don't have anxiety anymore. It took away the anxiety. So next time, if I try to go to a party and I'm like, oh, no, I'm really going to try this. I'm really going to go. And it gets closer and I get anxious and anxious. And then I continue to try to go. My brain's going to release more adrenaline. It's going to say, absolutely not. Are you kidding? Last time I saved your life. We didn't go and you were relieved. You were happy and everything was fine. I'm not letting you go this time because you gave me the signal that you needed me to save your life. And so it's going to act up even more. It's like a toddler, right? You give in because it's easier. (laughs) I've been there. And then the next time it's like even worse, right? Because you're trying to set a boundary and then it's like, well, no, you let me do this last time. So I'm going to act up even more crazy because that's what makes you give in. 
So your anxiety is the same way. It's like a three-year-old child. (laughs) So the way to work on it doesn't mean you can't work on it. Like if you're thinking, oh God, I do that all the time. My loop of anxiety must really be chiseled and rock by now. You can still unlearn that. It's just going to take smaller steps. So you don't have to like push yourself into the fire with this, you know, oh, I need to work on this now. Let's just do it all at once. No, you need to set little steps to just work away at it. So there's often pieces that make you more anxious about going to something. So it could be the car ride there makes you anxious. Finding parking, being the first one there, not knowing anyone. Who am I going to sit next to? Is the one person I know going to be talking to someone else and I'm not going to have any friends there? So all these little pieces can make you anxious. So if you write down all the pieces that make you anxious, try to break them down into little pieces and then think of ways to help relax each of those pieces. So maybe if the car ride there, you get a little worked up, put on some relaxing music or a podcast that's motivating and inspirational, music that is happy and upbeat, gets you excited, things that will help you get in a relaxed state. Then if you're nervous about going in, Text a friend that you know is going to be there. Hey, can you come outside and meet me in my car? I just don't want to walk in by myself. You can do little things to help it make it easier for yourself if you're still pushing yourself to go to that party. So you're trying to get yourself a little more comfortable with going, but doing things that will help make it a little easier for you, if that makes sense. So writing out each step that might help you really see what the problem is for you and how you're feeling for each step of the process. And then ways to make it more relaxing for you, more comfortable for you, but still pushing yourself to rewire your brain. And it really is rewiring your brain. When you work through anxiety and do something anyway, do it anxious, it's triggering the same situation in the brain. So it's the same part of your brain that acts up and gives you anxiety, right? But you're doing something different. You're choosing a different outcome of going. So that's going to send the other neurons off on a different path. And it's going to create a different pathway in the brain. Literally, I'm not just speaking figuratively here. They can literally see this on MRIs. They can see that neurons that fire together, wire together. So the pathway... That's telling you, don't go to that party. Just cancel these plans. Cancel that plan with a friend. Don't go. That's like a super highway in your brain if you have social anxiety. It's paved. It's, you know, 60 miles an hour, 70 if you're in Florida. And you're just going down that pathway because it's easiest for the brain. The brain doesn't want to work and go down a different pathway. It's like we've ingrained this in our brain for 15 years that we don't do this kind of thing. So no thanks. Now, if you're trying to do something different, it's going to be really hard because in the brain, you're creating like a dirt trail through the woods where there's no trail, right? You're just walking into the middle of woods. But if you keep doing that, then that becomes a more developed trail through the woods. Then eventually it's like a sidewalk. Then eventually it's a street. Then maybe one day that will be a highway as well. Then it'll be a super highway. Then it'll be a super highway in Florida going 70. So you have to work through to get that kind of result, but you can get there. You'll get there a little quicker using a therapist or a self-help book or something that's really motivating, but a therapist or a coach might help get you there quicker the same way, you know, if you hire a personal trainer, they're going to push you further than you would push yourself, right? Like I had a running coach once and she would make these plans for me of like run this much and then this much and then on Friday do this run. 
And I would never make that on my own. I'd be like, I'm going to stop at two miles and take a break. And that's going to be it for the week. But if it's someone else making the plan for you, they're going to push you further. But they're also going to be there as your support to hold your hand and let you know it's okay. I got you. I'm here for you. If something goes wrong, you can call me. You can contact me. We can tweak the plan. So it's very specialized and individualized in that way. But you can do it yourself. Just requires a little more pushing, working through. A lot of relaxation techniques will come in handy with social anxiety, taking deep, relaxing breaths, relaxing all the muscles in your body. No one knows you're doing that if you're out and about with people or if you're at a work meeting or anything. No one knows you're taking really deep, relaxing breaths into your belly to relax your system or relaxing your muscles while you're sitting there. Nobody knows that. So those things can be really helpful. And little things like when I would go to meetings that I hated going to and I'd be really nervous about, I would always bring a cup of coffee with me or a cup of tea, like relaxation tea or calming tea. And it was something to hold, right? Because when you're nervous, it's good to have things to hold on to, like a little security object. And then you could take sips of it, right? Something to do while you're sitting there so you don't look like you're not doing anything or you're not sure what to do. So little things like that can be helpful if it's winter time and it's cold or now it's going to get chillier in the fall. Bring like a sweater and use it like a little security blanket or a scarf, like wrap yourself up a little bit and feel comfortable and secure when you're going to a scary meeting or whatever it is. So those are just some little ideas. I hope some of that's helpful. But I think a lot of people have social anxiety. And then my point about is it a disorder versus a quirk? I think it doesn't matter, right? But I think it becomes a problem when it interferes in functioning. So it doesn't matter like, oh, I have this disorder. I have this label. I have something wrong with me. I think all of that is a hindrance to just doing the work and improving yourself. I think all of that, sometimes it can be a crutch of like, oh, I have this disorder. Something's wrong with me. No, like it doesn't prevent you from making changes and trying to do things differently. So sometimes those labels can be like, well, this is why. Okay, but it doesn't prevent you from making changes. It's still the same way you have to deal with it and go about it. And there's no medication that's going to help with that either. There's medication that'll take the edge off. That'll make it a lot easier to go to social situations and events, of course. But the rewiring of the brain can only come from you making different choices and pushing yourself through discomfort. And I hate to say that because it's not the easy way. Not that medication's the easy way either, but medication can help you if you're super anxious and it's not possible without the medication. That's fine. You can do medication and make these behavioral changes and you'll get double benefit. You know, it really will help you probably progress faster, even if you're not able to do it without medication. That can be a good tool to get you to make these changes quicker. I created something brand new, the No More People Pleasing mini course. I help women to stop people pleasing and put themselves first without the guilt. What would life look like if you could stop asking your partner to order food for you in a restaurant or ask your boss for that raise you're long overdue for? I'm going to teach you four proven strategies, research proven strategies that's going to bring you from people pleasing and passive to empowered and confident. You're going to use my outline, my scripts, my beautifully designed PDFs to get the exact skills you need to become more assertive in your life. I'm going to teach you four skills through my videos and worksheets that's going to bring you to a place of confidence and being assertive in your life. 
You're gonna get my beautifully designed self-esteem daily journal to print out, my practice assignments to start changing your mindset and your behaviors. If you sign up now before I launch, you can get it for $29. That's the lowest it will ever be. And I'm giving everyone who signs up now a bonus gift. So go to at Unlock Your Therapy on Instagram, click the link in my bio to get on the list. So skill of the week. Skill of the week is about what's called thinking issues or thinking errors or however you want to label them. And it's really just different ways of thinking that we all have. And the brain is designed to have these to protect us, to categorize things, to look out for danger. So they're not bad. It's just bad when we use them too much and it can create some negativity in our thinking. So I'm just going to read through them. Common thinking issues, number one is all or nothing thinking. So this is also called black or white thinking. This means if something is imperfect, you see the whole thing is negative, right? So let's say I'm having a party and, well, this happened for Carson's party, right? Let's say I had his party, the entertainer didn't come to do the balloons or anything, right, that I hired and was scheduled to come. They didn't show up. I could have thought if I had black and white thinking, I could have think, oh, this whole party's trash, <laughs> right? The whole thing is useless. This was a waste. I, I'm so mad. This whole day was ruined. No, I mean, I was very disappointed by it, but I didn't say the whole thing is ruined because no one else really knew that I had all this other stuff planned. But I was very disappointed too. I had to work through not saying like, oh, the whole party's not as good as I thought it was going to be. So it could have easily become all or nothing if I just let myself be like, oh, this was not how I wanted it to be. This this is terrible. His whole third bir- birthday party is ruined. Number two, overgeneralizing. So this is common, I think, in arguing with a partner <laughs> of saying always or never, right? So you're taking a single negative event and then thinking that things will never be different for you or the other person or whoever. So you're saying like, you always do this or you never do that, right? You're just generalizing the whole situation in a broad stroke from one situation. Instead of talking about like this situation today, you're saying, oh, this is always going to be this way. Instead of like, no, today it's this way. This is what's going on right now. That's a common one. Mental filter is the next one. So this is similar of like taking a single negative detail and not being able to see the positives about it anymore. You're just like hyper fixated on something negative. So you're not seeing the overall good. You know, you're looking at the 1% instead of the 99% good. Discounting the positive is similar. You're ignoring the positive things and saying like, oh, those don't count. So if you do a good job at work, you might say, oh, that doesn't count because I didn't, I don't know, I didn't get that report done by three o'clock. I got it done the next day. So you're kind of discounting a good job you did and say, oh, it wasn't quite good enough. I could have done it better. Jumping to conclusions, I don't think I really have to explain that one. When you are just assuming something, right? You don't have all the information, but you just take a leap and it's usually to the negative, right? We don't usually jump to conclusions in a really positive way. Mind reading is part of jumping to conclusions. So you're thinking someone else believes negative things about you, even though you don't know what they're thinking oh, she must be thinking this about me or that about me when you have no idea what they're thinking. And oftentimes we're wrong. And oftentimes you can say to yourself to help with that, like, oh, that's very self-centered of me to think everyone's thinking about me all the time. 
They're not. Just like if you have social anxiety, you're more worried about yourself and what you're going to say and do. You're not thinking about the other people or judging what they're saying about you. The same is true for other people. People are very self-absorbed. They're thinking about themselves, what they're going to say, what they're doing. Are they acting the right way? Are they making friends? Are they looking good at this meeting? They're not thinking about you or overanalyzing every word or every motion you make. So you could just kind of joke to yourself and say, oh, how narcissistic of me to think this. Like, no one's thinking about me. (laughs) Fortune telling is thinking things will turn out badly no matter what. You'll just think, this will never get better. Nothing will ever change, right? You're predicting the future, but in a negative way. Magnification is the next one. Overestimating the importance of your problems and what isn't working and not noticing your good qualities. So you're just magnifying, like think of a big magnifying glass on every little flaw, every little thing that's not perfect about you, and you're not focusing on all the good things and the wonderful job you are doing. I feel like moms do this a lot, like not focusing on all the ways they're doing great and just focusing on like the one thing their kid isn't doing well and like that they need to work on that. Emotional reasoning. Okay, so this is a good one. This is having a feeling and then thinking things must be true because you're having a feeling. So for example, if I wake up in a bad mood just because like maybe I'm just in a bad mood that day, I could think, oh, if I spill my coffee, I could think, oh, see, I woke up knowing this wasn't going to be a good day because I'm already angry or irritable before the day even starts that I'm fitting things in with that bad mood. I spill my coffee. So, oh, see, I knew things would go bad because I'm in a bad mood today. I knew it. I knew today would be a bad day. And then I look at everything through that lens, right? But if I was in a good mood, if I spilled my coffee, it wouldn't be a problem. No problem. I'll just wipe this up and keep it moving. But because I'm in a bad mood, I'm looking at everything through those angry glasses, (laughs) so to speak. Should statements. So everyone I think knows this, like don't should all over yourself. (laughs) Telling yourself things should be a certain way, right? Like for example, today, like my laundry's a mess. My house is kind of a mess. The kids' rooms are a mess. I could think, oh God, I should have it all together already. I should be able to do this. Everything should be done and clean and folded and organized. I should have done this already. I should be better at this. But I don't. I'm like, well, it is what it is. I'm not someone that's like super early organized about things and I get them done and I'm still working on it. Yes, I'd like to be better about it, but I'm not going to like beat myself up like, oh, you should have done this or this. Like, no, I had things to do. I was on vacation. I did a lot of things before we left. It's fine. I don't really beat myself up about that often. Of course, occasionally, maybe something might be on my should list, but I try not to look at things in that light. Dan's really good at helping me not look at things like that. He's really good if I say something like, Oh gosh, I should have done this or that. He'll say, Oh, well, you, you've been really busy or you're not a robot. He tells me you are, you know, he's really good at reframing things. Labeling. So this is if you make a mistake about something, then you say, Oh, I'm so stupid, right? You're labeling yourself something really negative because of a small thing that happened. Or if you didn't do something perfectly at work, Oh, I'm going to get fired. I'm such an idiot. So you're really putting a negative label or word on yourself instead of just saying like, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I didn't do this correctly. That's okay. I could fix it. The last one, personalization and blame. So blaming yourself for an event that's not in your control. So you can take on the blame for something that's like literally you had nothing to do with. You can't control that. 
It's just, and that can lead to feeling, you know, a lot of negative emotions that don't belong to you. Like give those away. You're personalizing something that's not about you at all and something you couldn't have foreseen or a situation that you don't have control over. So those are the thinking issues. And I'm sure a lot of them, like me, when I read through them, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yep, mm -hmm, yep. Like you can really see the ways each of those can apply to ways we think about situations. And we all use all of those. So if you said yes to everyone on the list, don't feel bad. They really are common things people struggle with. Okay, so that was skill of the week. And action item of the week is just kind of thinking about those thinking issues or ways of thinking that can lead to negative feelings. And just trying to catch them, just label them when you feel like they are coming up for you. Oh, okay, this is fortune telling. Oh, I'm overgeneralizing. Oh, this is black and white thinking. And sometimes people don't even know all which ones they are, right? But they just think, oh, this must be one of those thinking issues I'm having. I don't remember which one Lindsay said, but this is like, that's what I'm doing right now. One of those. And it's just helpful. We don't have to change it, but just by noticing it and being like, oh, okay, I'm doing that. Let me give myself some grace here. Let me give myself some credit. Let me not blame myself. Let me just see the situation for the facts and not the emotion of a situation or how it's making me feel. Yes, this situation is making me feel out of control, but it's not my fault. It doesn't mean anything about my character or about me because I can't control the situation or I feel like I'm not doing the best job in this area. That's okay. You know, really got to give yourself credit and notice all the good things you are doing and really be your own cheerleader in that way and trying to let the negative thought patterns kind of sit next to you and not on top of you. I hope this episode was helpful and I can't wait to talk to you all next week. I'll report on how school stuff is going. I'm sure I'll have a lot to say about it as I always do. I hope you all have a fabulous start to your September, whether that's work, school, child stuff, or nothing like that at all. It's just a normal time for you. I hope it's all going well. It feels like the beginning of a new season, which can feel like a fresh start. I love September for that reason, even though it's still like hot, like summer sometimes. It just feels like the beginning of the year because I'm just trained to feel like the beginning of the school year is the beginning of the year. And I just really like that. I like fresh notebooks and fresh clean planners and a clean desk and a fresh start. So I hope you all have that feeling too. And I hope everyone is doing well.